Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Port Podcast, episode 290. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today to talk to you about video games. I didn't realize it. This is the last podcast of the year. I didn't, I didn't plan anything initially, and I was like, oh, I just had like a normal episode lined up thinking that I had another show after this. But no, this is the last podcast of the year. So, well, 2022, what a wrap, baby. It's done. <laughs> um, so here we are. Um, so I decided that we would do a kind of a game of the year kind of show thing. Um, but before we get into that, first and foremost, um, I just want to kind of give you guys a heads up. So one thing that you've been hearing me talk about the last like two to three months is a whole big channel shuffle thing that's happening. Um, that is happening starting next week. So um, you, when you're hearing this podcast, if you're listening to this the second it goes up, you'll have to wait a little bit. But on Tuesday, there's a video that's going to go up on the channel that's going to give very quick hit of like, hey, here's what is happening. We're splitting the channel into three different channels. I'm splitting the channel into three different channels. Um, and then uh, and then after that, I go into more detail of like what's going to be on each channel. And then after that, I go into a bit more detail of like why I'm making the change. So I kind of layered it in a way that hopefully the most important inform- information for people is up front so they can watch the first two minutes, get what they need, watch the first four minutes, get what they need, and then they can listen to me ramble at the end of the video if they want to. So so if you're listening to the podcast on like or any podcast platform that's not YouTube, everything's going to be the same. You're not going to get any additional changes that need to be changed for, for the podcast itself, at least. So if you're listening to a podcast through podcast platform, you're good. If you're watching on YouTube, podcasts are going to get uploaded over to the new one control port plus channel. Um, so I'll include a link to that channel in this podcast description on YouTube. So you can go subscribe to it. Um, but that will be included in that Tuesday video that goes up as well. So I thought about going in like really deep depth on this show about it, but the reality is I think it's just better to be quick and fast about it and throw it up. So on Tuesday, you'll see that video go up. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to answer them in either the YouTube comments, the discord channel, you know, Twitter, wherever you want to reach out to me, feel free to do that. So, but anyways, that's going to go up on Tuesday, but otherwise today we're going to focus on game of the year. Now it's worth mentioning. I I, I don't think I said this yet. I'm doing a second record here. Um, So it's worth mentioning that, you know, I don't play enough video games in a a year to just talk about games that come out in 2022. So um, I think per usual, I don't remember how many years we've done kind of a game of the year thing. I feel like it kind of comes and goes and gets changed into different forms. But this year we're going to be doing just any video game I played throughout this year. So anything I streamed, anything I played and then talked about, or maybe just something I didn't even talk about, just played it on my own, just have a good time. But chances are, if I played it, you guys heard me talk about it on the podcast at some point. So but the big thing is that I, I beat the game this year. That's kind of the big piece of, of whatever. Um, I went back on my backloggery and looked. Some of those dates might not be super accurate, depending on when I updated the backloggery. So again, super informal. Um, so I have a list of categories that I made here um, that I'm going to go through that are just my own personal categories. Some of these are somewhat serious. Some of these are stupid, you know, just all over the place. And then we have also community categories, maybe like, uh, uh, guest categories. I don't know. Like, like pe- I asked people on like Twitter and, 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 in the discord and in the, um, the, the Patreon channel to, uh, provide any, um, category that they would be interested in, uh, hearing me say. And some of these, I said, you know, you can do whatever you can give me a serious category or you can give me a silly one. So I'm sure there'll be silly ones in there that we can talk about a little bit. Um, but I did go ahead and, and basically fill out all these. So I don't have to like think about it on the fly. I'm going to give you 
the the quick run through of of these quick run through i'm gonna go through and talk about these still so i think that should fill an entire episode mainly but we'll be back with like normal news stuff next week i'm sure um and all that stuff on the first of the year because yeah i don't think i have anything special planned for that podcast so anyways 2022 game of the year um oh oh i should say mr t suggested or space galaga suggested this be called the golden pen pen awards um i'm all for that if we want to call these the golden pen pen awards i will say we continue to use pen pen as like a <laughs> stream thing for pen pen triathlon um but pen pen triathlon has some problems <laughs> of of like one fourth of the game has like racist depictions of characters all over it so so part of me is like maybe we shouldn't stick with pen pen but it seems to have stuck so we are stuck with pen pen for now um but for this year we will we will continue to uh uh be the pen pen year maybe i don't know if that will ever change in the future it seems like people have voted and they're like screw the racism parts of pen pen we're representing pen pen no matter what so (laughs) here we are don't worry too much about it. So anyway, starting with categories that I personally put together myself, just the things that I, I thought of. This isn't like super inclusive or anything like that in terms of like, I didn't think of every category like best sound or anything like that. I just threw a bunch of stuff on here. Speaking of it, now that I said best sound, I'm pretty sure that's not on this list. So um, best sound would go to Napletail if we had it. So there we go. Best sound, Napletail, Daydream. I'm not going to, that's not a real category. That's a fake one. I, I, it was not on my list. The results are locked in, baby. We don't, we don't start a new game of the year uh, category as the show is happening. So, um, so my first category here is biggest surprise. I think this is pretty straightforward and, and, and exploit, exploit, self-explanatory um biggest surprise is just the game that kind of took me off guard the the most this year um and so and how this is going to work is i have one game that is the winner and then i have a couple honorable mentions for some categories not all of them but some of them so biggest surprise goes to asphalt urban gt i really did not expect this nintendo ds racing game made by gameloft um, to be, uh, as well made as it was on the Nintendo DS. I kind of expected like a shoddy mobile port of like a, a cell phone game, which in some ways it kind of is. Um, well, it's a port of a cell phone game. Let me just say that. Um, but it is, as far as I can tell, like really improved in a lot of ways in terms of performance as well. I'm assuming the DS hardware is just like significantly better than whatever, you know, was in Nokia phones and stuff like that at the time. I believe there's an N-Gage version of the game too, which that N-Gage version looks solid as well. I will say I haven't played it, but at least looked pretty decent. So, um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's for the most part, just kind of a straightforward arcade racing game with a career mode kind of thing, which I I've actually never played a, um, racing career mode game before that's actually a, a new experience for me personally of buying and selling cars but the big thing was just like how technically solid it was how well it ran on the nintendo ds how good it looked and also i feel like the game does a really good job of knowing what to render and what to cut um where if you go and kind of peek your head outside of out of bounds a little bit um you can kind of see where the the charade kind of you know is 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 given up by you know how much of it's like 2d textures and things like that but um when you're racing and and on on the track itself and you're just like flying through those areas i think they they do a really good job of making the cities feel dense and making the environments feel um pretty interesting and kind of fun to race through good variety of environments for a realistic racing game i think as well 
Um, so Asphalt Urban GT, biggest surprise this year. Honorable mention goes to Super Mario World. I expected to not like Super Mario World because I did not like Super Mario Brothers 3. My feeling of Super Mario Brothers 3 is that this just feels like more Mario. But I feel like Super Mario World um, kind of refines its mechanics and hones in on like what that game um, is does best uh and and like highlights that where i feel like smarty brothers is a game that maybe just kind of is all over the place so i did like a a youtube clip or a podcast highlight for smarty world deeper thoughts on that the other honorable mention is rygar the legendary adventure i kind of expect this to be like a traditional maybe not traditional but like a a kind of -of run-of-the-mill 3d action game on the ps2 um but i was very pleasantly surprised that was a great ps2 um um uh, game that, that really I think the big thing is that like the environments are interconnected in a really fun way I always talk about like how open world games I I never have a I personally don't like open world games very much but I like exploring in games so it's not necessarily a problem with like the concept of open world right um but uh a game like uh, Rygar I think it it gives you that feeling of exploration without ever like really taking you into a space where like there's just kind of nothing there. Everything is like particularly refined in a way that you're going to look at. It's not an open world game. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it is very linear and very, not linear. Linear is not the right word, but it's very narrow. And like each pathway is kind of interconnected with each other. And I like that kind of design. Think about like Crystal Chronicles and things like that. Not Crystal Chronicles, Crystal Bears. Correct myself back and forth here. But yeah, I really like Rygar Legendary Adventure. Um, I was surprised how, how good it was. I was kind of expecting just something kind of decent. And uh, I came away with that being a very, very good action RPG. A little finicky initially, but I feel like as you upgrade and get new shields, um, it feels a little better to play than when it does at the very start of the game. So the next category is best ideas. So this is basically just the, uh, you know, most uh, interesting ideas put into a video game. Uh, I, um, I didn't mark it down. Alex um gave us so i guess we could kind of maybe consider this like half a community category Uh, alex did mention like a best um best concept i think is something that on stream sorry alex i don't remember what you said exactly i'm just now real remembering that you had mentioned something in relation to this but we can kind of consider this a community thing with uh, alex hopefully this is representative of what you're asking for um but best ideas I'm going to get to uh, give to Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier. Most of my time with Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier was spent this year. I did spend a lot of time on the Christmas event last year, um, but I think I spent more hours overall with The First Soldier here um, in 2022. And I I really like... One of the things that I think is uh, kind of poo-pooed on with a lot of games is when you apply another license to a game kind of thing, right? A license that's foreign to a different concept, right? Um, and I, I think at times in the past, I have felt this way too. Um, but I think a lot about like, you know, anime franchises and things like that and how those concepts get applied to games and, you know, what problems that can introduce, but also like what interesting ideas it can bring in a lot of the times. And so when you're like bringing in a fan base from this other thing into like a new genre or a different like, type of game, um, you can kind of introduce them to this space while keeping a lot of the similar concepts that um, are are kind of standard to that franchise in a lot of ways. And I feel like First Soldier does a really good job of making a battle royale game that feels distinctly Final Fantasy um, because it has things like um, money that you pick up in the game, you go 
and like upgrade, you know, at vending machines, you pick up materia and material upgrades and levels up. There's also um, spells you can pick up and that like kind of customizes your loadout and things like that on top of the job classes you get with customizable abilities. It feels like a, even though it's it, like mechanically, it's definitely a third person shooter in a battle royale setting. The customization you can do for your characters feels very RPG-like in a way that I personally haven't experienced through a game like Apex Legends or through a game like PUBG. I have not played Warzone or Fortnite, which are kind of the two big other ones, I feel like. But at least Final Fantasy, I think, does a really good job of taking the elements of an RPG. Or First Soldier does a really good job of taking elements of RPG, implementing them in a battle royale in a really interesting way. Not only in terms of character progression, but also through... Um, you know, letting you grind to level up in the game as well versus games like Apex where you kind of have to be really aggressive to get, um, you know, like particular shield levels up and things like that. First Soldier gives you a variety of different ways to uh, raise yourself up for the last encounter of the game. So it's not just rewarding the people who are the most aggressive to other players. You, as somebody who may not be great at the game, can still come into that final encounter, you know, powered up not just based off the luck of what you picked up it can be based off your pursuit of different monsters and killing them uh fighting a boss and getting gear from them um also things like um um the quest system i don't feel like the quest system was maybe as great in first soldier i will say but it's a component of the game i think if you at some point i kind of started ignoring the quest system in a lot of ways um i think partly because they never really updated it very much either so it, it kind of stayed pretty standard for a long time but generally i think the overall ideas that are implemented in that game are really really good and uh, you know despite all the problems that that game has from a um a uh technical point of view and um in some ways how it plays i mean i think it plays fine enough but you know it is a it is kind of a uh it feels like a low budget third person shooter in a lot of ways um the, the the overall concepts do so much to to raise that game to another level that i think that's really cool i really hope to do a first soldier or maybe just like a, a final fantasy multiplayer maybe not even specifically multiplayer just final fantasy shooter video in the future um that i hope i can go into those concepts a little more um, no honorable mentions here, though. That was just like 100% first soldier was top top dog there. So <laughs> um, this next category is called Giant Bomb Presents Best Style. Um, they used to say best style for a category, so I included Giant Bomb on there. Um, they are not sponsoring me, as as is probably obvious, but here we are. So uh, initially I had uh, a Napple Tail, Orissa, and Daydream here, but I realized that actually Buddy Mission Bond is absolutely the game with best style that I beat this year. I mean, that game is almost all style in a lot of ways in terms of visuals, at least like it is a very flashy game. It does so much. Um, I was going to say it was so little, but the reality is, is they pack that game with assets and, and they are constantly, you know, they do reuse assets and assets in creative ways, but it never like feels awkward out of place. They kind of know when to draw the line between reusing assets versus drawing new assets. And they're not shy to draw new assets. Um, so I really love the look and feel of Bunny Mission Bond stylistically. Um, Napple Tail, I think, is a game that is an honorable mention, has a very consistent style, and um, it 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 feels it feels super well realized. And I think I think it comes up in a later category here as well. But Napple Tail is a game that I think, um, while it may not be the like the the kind of like you know, as flashy as like a buddy mission bond. I think it still has like a strong sense of style. Maybe it's the right word. Gal metal. I think kind of gets maybe closer to the buddy mission bond thing. It's like a four coma style, uh, rhythm game with these girls who 
play in a band or whatever and um they do a lot of really fun fun things with like the little character art and things like that in the comics you you play through with like all the little character sprites shaking around and stuff like that i really love gal metal from an aesthetic point of view i think the story is also kind of fun in gal metal um that's not really style though uh although i don't know if we talk about gal metal ever again after this so um but uh stylistically i really love how gal metal looks and and it's a shame I don't want to say the games don't look like Gal Metal. Gal Metal is a game that has a very distinct feel to it, I guess. And maybe that's partly because of its gameplay. I'm not quite sure. I do love it when you run out of stamina in that game and it says, out of stamina, let's rock. <laughs> so I'm like, that is not what you do when you're out of stamina, but I'm okay with that. So <laughs> um, so those are the two honorable mentions, Gal Metal and Napletail. Again, Buddy Mission Bond wins the category of Giant Bomb Presents Bastile. Safest game. What this means is not, this is not a derogatory safest. I know sometimes I use safe as like a negative where I'm like, that game was too safe kind of thing, right? Um, what safest game is, is I think the game I could recommend that I played this year that um, was the safest to recommend to somebody. And like, hey, most likely if I recommend this to you, you're going to have a good time. And the number one game on there is uh, Castlevania Bloodlines. Well, if you watch the stream, you might come away with me seeming a little kind of underwhelmed by the game as a whole. And in some ways, I think I, I kind of was. Um, it's just a really solid game, and I think it plays you know pretty well overall too. Um, and despite me kind of being a little mum on it, um, it is on the higher end of Castlevania games for me. Um, I think it's just a lot of really good stage design in that game. Um, and I think the overall, um, gameplay itself is like really solid and there's like some cool gimmicks in the visual variety. I, I still kind of stand by, I think visually the game just doesn't really stand up very well. Just like, I think it kind of looks bad as a Genesis game in some ways, like just from like the, the pure sprite art aspect of it and the animations, but the stage design, I think is kind of the big thing. Um, I, I think Bloodlines, well, kind of a weird Castlevania game. I think anyone could really pick up and enjoy um, kind of immediately. Honorable mention is Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2. Honestly, this probably would have won. We're doing double Castlevania here. <laughs> this probably would have won, um, but my I have kind of an issue with Bloodstained uh, Curse of the Moon 2 where as much as I love Curse of the Moon 1 um, and I enjoyed Curse of the Moon 2, I feel like Curse of the Moon 2 kind of overstays the wel its welcome a little bit in terms of the concepts it uses from the first game. Um, and I think that's a really big part of Curse of the Moon 1 for me, is just like how flexible that game was. And Curse of the Moon 2 is very flexible as well, but it's not flexible in a way that really like kind of you know blew my, my boots off kind of thing, right? It was something that I kind of expected. Although it's very cool with the two-player co-op aspect of that game, it does make that game very different to play in some ways. So I'm still of the mind that if you want to play Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2, two players the way to go. Um, otherwise, just play Curse of the Moon 1. So, And I think if you, you can save that experience for a two-player experience, you'll be happier. But yeah, uh, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2, though, that's one of those games that I probably could just recommend to anybody, and I think they'll have a great time with it overall. Um, I think the diversity of play style is the big thing. Um, the one problem that, that kind of plagues Bloodstained Curse of the Moon series as a whole is that the games are a little slow to start, I will say. Um, because they are more kind of classic Castlevania when you start those games. So they're not quite as, um, as they don't feel as interesting up front. I feel like, I feel like I have to kind of convince people to want to play Curse of the Moon too. a lot of times, even though like probably the first 5% is a little eh, but everything after that is really great. So 
Risky concepts. So kind of the separate side of this thing where uh, somebody took a chance on a concept and I might not necessarily recommend the video game to anybody, but I think the concept itself is is kind of a neat thing. It's just maybe not the greatest video game because of it. Um, One Piece Unlimited Adventure. We streamed this game um, and I know everyone suffered while I streamed this game, but um, uh, I, I really like this game and in a concept as well, like kind of thing, uh, because it was just like a really distinct game that I don't know if I have decided yet if I think it is like the most one piece way to approach a game or the least one piece way to approach a game. But basically the whole game is you running around with one piece characters on this overworld map. That's kind of somewhat open back to kind of like that, you know, interconnected tunnels kind of thing that I was talking about earlier with like, um, what game was that? I already forgot what game it was. Rygar. <laughs> kind of like that. Um, but in the case of One Piece, it's a bit different. But it's, it is a very, it's a game that you have to really sit down and uh, be patient with because it's going to ask you to go collect a lot of materials and craft a lot of things. You got to kind of figure out where you need certain things in different parts of the world. Uh, I super appreciate the game from just like not being a generic action game. I think if you were to put me in a room and say, this is one piece because you're hunting for things, I think you could sell me on that. Uh, I think there are some parts of that game that from what little I do know about one piece seem a little underwhelming from a one piece story and presentation perspective. But overall, I think the general concept is great. Um, but I don't think um, most people would like that concept. Um, on paper I think if I think most people picking that game up would not have a great time honestly I think they'd be like this is very repetitive and very boring so <laughs> the next category needs more gacked you know, look we we spend all year talking about what games need gacked and pretty much we determine at the end of every stream that every game needs more gacked but I want to talk about the game that needs the most gacked um and unfortunately we now know I, by the time I wrote this, I was not aware this was the case, but we now know this will no longer be possible. So what the heck? Um, Chocobo GP. Look, Gact is a part of the final fantasy seven universe. And Gact could be in Chocobo GP being the Gact he is. So I would like to see Gact in Chocobo GP, but they announced that they're ending like updates to the game. So what the heck square Enix? You got it. You got to add him in. <laughs> so I forget what his name is. Is like G or something like that. I know he shows up at the end of Dirt to Cerberus. And he has like a dubbed voice, I think, in there. I think he like picks up. Oh, my God. Spoilers for Dirt to Cerberus. I think he like picks up the guy you kill. And then he goes like, it is time to awaken. I'm <laughs> like a very Dracula kind of voice. <laughs> Um, so we need Gaxton, uh, talking about GB. I think, I think he's in Crisis Core. I think he's the guy with the red coat. Does that sound right? He's also in Boon, Boon, Boon guy, Something like that. Gax has been in video games before. Gax was added to PUBG. And to Chocobo GT. What the fuck, Square Enix? Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so no more, uh, no honorable mentions for that, unfortunately. At least I didn't have any listed here. Let's game feel. Game feel is a term that I feel like kind of came about because, or at least entered the popular uh, sentiment because uh, Aaron, is that his name, at Game Grumps? He he would always say, like, this game has good or bad game feel or something like that. And people would give him a really hard time about saying game feel. And game feel is a very uh, simple concept in, as a whole and maybe does not explain much, which I think is why people give him a lot of trouble with it because it doesn't really say that much about like 
what a game does well. He's just like, it's got good game feel. And that's not like a, there's not really a lot you can do to like talk about that in a lot of ways. Um, I feel like good game feel though is like a something, there are some games you just pick up and like, this game just feels good to play. Um, so in my, in my mind, that's what good game feel is. Like you put a, you pick a game up and like, it just feels really satisfying to interact with the video game. Um, and then there's a deeper conversation from there, but we're doing a game of the year category. So this is best game feel. And that award goes to Bravo music or mad maestro, the U S version. I played the Japanese version, Bravo music though. Um, I really like this game. If you don't know what this is, this is the, uh, uh, conductor game. We actually just played it on stream for the Christmas stream where um, you have these little, they like, have an orb that like kind of flies around between different points on the screen. And it's a rhythm game and you're a conductor. Um, and the orbs uh, touches the circles that have different colored rings on them. And those colored rings determine how much pressure you need to put on a controller to, or put on the button of the PS2 controller uh, to play that note. So you're either playing it, you know, quietly, normally, or hard kind of thing. And it's a really hard thing to do. If you ever use a PS2 controller with those buttons, the analog buttons on those, there's a good chance you don't even know they're analog buttons. Um, but the face buttons do have analog kind of uh, input. So you can, you know, put a different level of pressure on those buttons and get different results kind of thing. Um, I think it's a really smart use of that. And when it does work, when you're sitting there doing the light taps and we're doing the hard taps in particular, feels great. I love the feeling of that when the music just like starts getting loud. It's like brum, 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 brum. the trumpets are going. That's a great feeling in that moment. Um, there's a lot of finickiness with um, that game and how it controls in a way that kind of ruins that moment in a lot of ways. Um, but that's not really the game's fault as much as it's probably the controller's fault. That being said, they should have probably designed the game better to be suited around the controller. I think I'm still the mind that a light and a heavy would have been the best approach rather than doing a light, normal, heavy. But, you know. Anyways, uh, so Bravo Music, I think, is the game that just feels the best to play. Second game here is another um, rhythm game, and that's Samba de Amigo for the Wii. I think they did a great job. This is the honor honorable mention category. Sorry, I said second game. Uh, the I do think they do a great job of using the rumble of the Wii remote and the maraca sound coming out of the Wii speaker to make every shake you do feel, you know, like a maraca. Obviously, you can tell the difference between a real maraca and what a Wii remote's doing, but the point is not to be exact. The point is to convey that feeling from when you're interacting with the game, and I thought that was a really well-done feature of Samba de Amigo for the Wii that feels really good when it works. And you can change the sound effects, but I personally find them not as satisfying because it kind of erases that illusion um, to some degree for that. Another honorable mention is Family Jockey. That's that racing horse game for the Wii where you slap the Wii remote in the nunchuck like the reins of a, of a horse. It's a great feeling when you're going fast kind of thing. The controls of that game are a little iffy at times, but um, but I, I really like the feeling of just like, you know, sitting there whipping your horse with the reins or whatever. I don't know how actual horse racing works, but, you know, at least in the concept of how it's presented in the game, you whip the, the reins to kind of make your horse go faster. And there's kind of a good feeling with that. You kind of lean into turns and things like that. Very cool. Honorable mention there for that. Two more categories here, then we'll get into the community categories. Best story, kind of a normal category here at the very least. Um, best story I give to Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I have a lot of beef with Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Uh, if you saw my Xenoblade Chronicles 3 video, you will have seen that. Um, one thing I did not talk about a lot in that video, though, is the story. And a big reason why 
is because I did like the story of the game. So in a video that's about the most disappointing aspects of that game, the story was not, I did not have a place there really. Um, I really think that Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is a game that, you know, maybe I appreciate more from a Monolith Soft standpoint of Monolith Soft has spent so many years trying to create a narrative that has a lot of depth to it. Um, but is, is, you know, yeah, has a lot of depth to it. And they, put, they have a lot of ambition in their storytelling. And and I always fear, I think, especially as they were like, hey, we kind of want to revisit the concepts we touched on in Xenosaga and Xenogears. I was like, don't go out of control. Don't start making this like a three-game trilogy thing. I mean, technically, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is a three-game trilogy, but it's so whatever there with that. It doesn't really matter. And that's actually a problem for some people is that it doesn't connect games enough, well enough. Um, but I think the actual storytelling, the themes and the concepts they do are all very well executed throughout Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I think they do a great job of referencing a lot of their past games and the themes of those past games, um, and then also delivering on them in a way that doesn't feel so pie in the sky that you would only understand it if you went to a wiki page and read that. I feel like that's the problem with Xenogears and Xenosaga. It's like, well, if you read the Perfect Work series, well, if you go to the Xenosaga wiki, if you read the in-game wiki, all that stuff. I feel like that kind of stuff, like is while it you are providing information to that user either through the fan base or the what's it called the in-game wiki um you know those are not very fun ways or or i think very um um effective ways to get story to players in a lot of ways that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it if you do enjoy it that way i will say i always will say that as somebody who does not like xenogears and xenosaga fans not saying you can't enjoy those games you should enjoy them (laughs) but um but i think xenomite chronicles 3 is a game that that has the self-restraint um, while also kind of touching on the points that are um, important for that franchise in a lot of ways. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it sounds like maybe a lot of other Xeno fans didn't feel the same. So maybe I'm the, in the wrong here. But as somebody who's a fan of that more self-contained story that was in Xenoblade Chronicles 1, um, I was very pleased with how Xenoblade Chronicles 3 went overall. Um, and, and I really hope that, uh, you know, in the future you know, as they kind of build out a new trilogy, as they've said that they're probably going to do, or I think they said they're at least moving on from this story of Xenoblade 1, 2, and 3. Um, I hope that they're kind of able to maintain that restraint while still, you know, playing with going further than what they did with Xenoblade Chronicles 3. So there's my best story. No honorable mentions for this one. Nothing really jumped out on my mind that I could think of that I was like, oh yes, the story of kind of thing. Most disappointing video game. Boy, oh boy. Disappointing video games. Well, you might think I might be saying Xenoblade Chronicles 3 as a um, Monolith Soft fan. And it is on my honorable mention list. If you want to know about that, I made a whole video about that with the combat system and all that stuff. I don't need to go into detail about the problems I have with Xenoblade Chronicles 3 here. But combat, not that interested in that combat. I think it was a not interesting game in that standpoint. Also, I think the world design is pretty bland in terms of like movement, how you get around it. Um, what you're doing in that world, all that stuff. But the most disappointing game for me this year, God Eater 3. Look, my expectations going into God Eater in the first place as a franchise was not particularly high. I did not have a lot of interest in God Eater. I kind of did, but not like a ton. Um, And in playing God Eater 1, the initial part of that game... Also, maybe not that great. But the second part of God Eater 1 with the burst mechanics, beautiful. I don't know if that's the burst mechanics. The part where you get like the stat bust when you eat things with different bites. That's when God Eater 1 gets real good. 
Um, and I played it on PS4. And, you know, that game felt like a PSP game in a lot of ways. God Eater 2, there's a really weird thing of like, hey, they worked on God Eater 1 again after God Eater 2 for the PS4 version. And so like, there's this really weird back and forth with the God Eater series when it comes to God Eater 1 and God Eater 2. If you play the most recent version of those games on the PS4 or PC, there's some weird back and forth of that. God Eater 2 I don't like as much as God Eater 1, I will say, um, for a lot of reasons, but it's not important. God Eater 3, though, I'm actually really disappointed because A, it happened after those two games got kind of fully ported over and everything. So all the weirdness of like different things getting ported at different things is out of, out of the way. But God Eater 3 does a few things bad. One, I think the mechanics it adds to the game aren't strong enough to hold on their own. Um, they are decent mechanics as is where you can basically like swap out different, um, you know, blood arts that you do, which is something that God Eater 2 really needed. Um, but the bonuses you get from those those skills, I think, still are very um, unbalanced. But they're unbalanced in a not great way this time where, like, they're kind of not as powerful. But they don't still, they're still too strong to, like, to justify using your standard move set. So you still kind of focus on using the same moves over and over again, which is a problem with God Eater 2 as well. But they kind of tried to fix that, and I don't feel like they actually came to a solution. The storytelling is very shallow overall. Um, they don't go into character stories really until not even the end of the game, but post-game, final DLC, and the final DLC you get all those character stories in is very shallow from a gameplay perspective. Story is good. How they present the story, maybe not so great. It's like basically drama CDs um, in, in the game itself in a lot of ways. But the story at the very end is very good overall. But it takes beating the game, getting to a bunch of downloadable content, and then getting to the final DLC. And the final DLC is basically you sitting in rooms listening to dialogue most of the time. Um, it was really poorly executed in that regard. Um, and then overall, the game just feels like a PSP game still. This was built for the ground up for PS4. I'm pretty sure there's not a Vita version of God Eater 3. I'm pretty sure it's PS4 only um, and PC. And it still just feels like a PSP game. Um, you know, Shift, the developers got either one and two, worked on Freedom Wars after those games. Again, weird stuff because of porting stuff happening. But Freedom Wars feels like a step up from God Eater 1 and God Eater 2. God Eater 3 does not feel like a step up. It feels like it's kind of maintaining the course and it, it just the th the changes it makes feel superflu superfluous and uh, they don't really make an impact on the game overall, I feel like. It is a better balanced game where you can't break it as much, but I don't think that's very important in like a PvE game. Like, let players kind of do what they want in a PvE game. I feel like overall, don't like, you know, kill yourself over trying to balance things. They really try to keep things balanced in that game to the point that a lot of skills and abilities often felt useless because they just were like kind of small enhancements rather than like anything super big. So, yeah, God of Year 3 is just a game that I cannot get behind, unfortunately. And um, I did find out after the fact that Shift did not work on God Eater 3. I think it was like an internal Bandai studio or Namco Bandai studio, I think. Um, so I'm curious what Shift is doing. But yeah, God Eater 3, not great. Honorable mention, Parasite Eve. I also did not care for Parasite Eve. I think the battle system in Parasite Eve 1 is not particularly good. Um, really good style. Did not get the honorable mention and style mention, but like feels like a really cool kind of uh, detective game in like a very PS1 style kind of thing, which is kind of fun. But I feel like the gameplay mechanics of Parasite Eve are not particularly interesting. Um, the gun building stuff, I feel like was not particularly well explained in the game as well. 
and generally just felt like that game needed more it needed more depth i think it's just kind of what it is um otherwise it just kind of feels like you're just basically sitting there and just like shooting stuff without any real yes spells but again they're kind of minor parts of that game uh haste should be applied by default as well the haste being like a spell sucked because the movement in that game is so slow um the last boss almost required haste so anyways so we'll get back to game of the year i figured it probably makes more sense to return to game of the year after my like my actual game of the year after um the community section rather than do that first and then go into community so community categories or guest categories whatever you want to call them these are categories um re- uh requested by various people in the community or on twitter some people i don't necessarily necessarily know their names so <laughs> hopefully uh hopefully they're part of the community i don't really know but we'll uh we'll go through them anyway so <laughs> anyways first one here is from oscar says, what was the most gacked, gacked game of 2022? So this is different. This isn't needs more gacked. Chocobo GP needs more gacked because it's not gacked enough. So what was the most gacked game this year? Um, I kind of feel like, I don't know if I have a great answer for this. I feel like Rygar, the Legendary Adventure, is a very gacked feeling game. I feel like you could put Gacked head on the main character. I don't remember, I don't know if his name's Rygar or not, but I feel like you could put Gacked head on the main character and it would feel right. Like Gacked trying to west rescue his like wife from God or something like that, right? Is that what that whole thing is? I don't remember. I don't know the story of Rygar. I feel like you could put Gacked on there though and it would work. So I feel like that is the most gactable game. Um the game I want Gacked um Never mind. I was going to say something. The game I want Mac gacked most in is uh, uh, Chocobo GP. So never mind on what I was about to say. So that's it for most gacked. Rygarth Legendary Adventure. Congratulations. Thank you, Tecmo, for 2001 making your best gacked game in the whole world. Um, Ariodal asks, best booba. Now, I'm going to tell you something about myself. This is kind of maybe a personal anecdote. Um, you may notice on this show, that I'm like, oh, handsome boys, handsome boys. Oh, this is such a handsome man. He's a cutie. Blah, 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 blah. And you're like, Ben, you don't talk about women very much. Um, most people assume I'm gay or bisexual. I would not say either of those are the case. I would consider myself straight. <laughs> so uh, I think I just have, I feel more comfortable expressing like affection towards physical attributes of men where I feel like with women it's a little harder for me maybe it's because like I grew up and like my sister was like harassed a bunch growing up so maybe like that makes me kind of feel weird about it in a way I don't know um so Ariadol and you're asking best booba I'm gonna say cooking mama cook-off um (laughs) that's the answer for that so there you go (laughs) um best world aesthetic this is from roulette dares um, and I have, oh, whoops, I mixed up two categories here. Let me fix that real quick. Um, so for best world aesthetic, we're going to return back to Napletail, which we mentioned earlier while well, I broke that. Oh, well, we're going to return back to Napletail. I think Napletail has the best world of, uh, any game we played this year. I think it's just really super well realized. The community, I think, is a really great part of Napletail. Um, and, and it just feels, you know, and, and from a gameplay perspective as well, like it feels like you're like exploring a community in a lot of ways. And even when you go into levels and stuff, it's like the houses and things like that in levels and, and, and that you don't really see, I mean, there's definitely games where they have like houses and levels and like characters living there, but I feel like you don't really see a ton of that in games a lot of times. And, and I feel like, 
feel like Napple Tail uses those areas as like, hey, there's somebody living here kind of thing and not just like a background element kind of thing. So I think Napple Tail has the best world aesthetic. So congratulations to Napple Tail. No honorable mentions there um, for that one. Prettiest boys of 2022. This is from Renoa of Platforms and Pitfalls. Um, and I think you, you guys already know where I'm going to come from this. I mean, Buddy Mission Bond has the prettiest boys. Obviously that game came out last year, but we're talking about games that I played and finished this year. So Buddy Mission Bond, you know, very handsome men overall. Um, and I really enjoy, uh, uh, all of them. They're all very beautiful. I'm not a huge fan of Aaron's porcupine hair. Never been a fan of that. Like kind of like needly hair kind of thing personally, which is a shame because a lot of delinquents have it in anime. And, um, I, uh, I like delinquents, but I don't like, I don't like their porcupine hair, unfortunately. So, um, if I had to pick one out of the, um, set that were in there though, I mean, Chelsea's probably the prettiest. Mokuma is pretty in his own old man way though. And Luke's more like a cute, cutie kind of guy kind of thing. So I guess Chelsea wins. Chelsea is probably the if you like objectively put prettiest on this objective 2022 list of old video games, mostly <laughs> there you go. But uh, all those boys are definitely uh, in the running there. I could, I could, I could go either way, baby on those four characters. Um, honorable mention Queen Long from blue legend of water. I think Queen Long's a handsome dude. Um, he is maybe a little too pretty um, in some ways. Sometimes I like, uh, I prefer kind of characters a lot more like visual quirks when it comes to characters and like, if you watch a series like Pat Labor, I think all the men in that series um, actually they do a really good job of like making their visual quirks really charming. And a lot of times with women, I feel like in games is like you don't get nearly as many visual quirks because there's like this very defined view of what's like pretty about a female character kind of thing, right? Um, and I feel like men, a lot of character artists feel feel a lot better about playing with their design more. Um, but Queen Long is just handsome. That's that, that's all there. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. I will say I think it's the Chinese name. I think it's like it's dragon or something like that. I don't remember, but anyways, Blue Legend of Water got that runner up there of prettiest boys of 2022. Oldest game you play. This is from Jillian. This is kind of like an, an objective thing. I guess like it's not really a rating system here for this one. Um, the oldest game I played this year, if you don't count the fact that I played it on more modern hardware is a uh, parachute for Game & Watch. Apparently came out June 1981, according to the Mario Wiki. I don't know if that's Japan or US. I assume Japan for that. Um, parachute, from what I remember, this is the one where you're on the boat and you kind of go back and forth and they kind of parachute into the boat itself. Um, I remember not caring for Parachute that much because the problem with Parachute is there's a guy on the right side of the screen that will get their parachute stuck. And so they'll sit there and like swing and then you have like a very quick second you have to get over there and get them out. Um, if when he actually falls, but they're still throwing like guys on the other side of the map, you got to go catch or whatever. So you're like way over there. Then he's like sitting there swinging around. Like I'm going to break off now, but I'm like, you better not stop struggling boy. Um, so, <laughs> so that is the oldest game I played this year on that list there. I don't really know. Uh, the next one would probably be octopus since that was in the same collection there. <laughs> um, so that game watch collection was like a 2000, eight thing maybe 2009 somewhere around that that range did we get double renoa no never mind I, I mixed up the names here oh wait maybe i got double renoa 
Was it wasn't Renoa prettiest boys? Yeah. Oh, Renoa. You got in twice, or maybe I misattributed this to you as well. Um, game game most likely to have a cult following in 2032. Also, Renoa and Pit, platform pitfalls, I believe. I don't have the link to where they asked me, so I'm gonna just have to have to believe. Um, I have two answers for this. Uh, one honorable mention. One is the actual winner. Gonna be controversial here and say Babylon's Fall. I think maybe if you've been hearing me talk about Babylon's Fall more recently, you might not be too surprised. Hey, spoilers, I don't even like Babylon's Fall that much. Like, I think it's a fine video game with some cool ideas in it. Um, but I would not say that, like, I would, I'm fawning over that game. It's a very, like, Balan Wonderworld situation where, like, I'm not really the one who, like, loves, loves this game, but I can, like, super appreciate the things it does well and the fact that it, like, got so dunked on so hard makes me like look at it a bit more and be like i gotta talk about this game more because clearly like the 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 conversation here is completely imbalanced and there's somebody on the other side pushing the scales down a little bit um but babylon's fall is an interesting situation because you know that game unless somebody's like packet sniffing right now or maybe the game's like complete enough that people can just like make it work offline without too much effort you know that game's gonna be gone here soon February 28th, I believe. So, um, you know, I, I'll be curious to see if the game gets a chance later on to get that kind of second wind in a lot of ways, because 10 years from now, you know, where are people going to be at with that? Um, I think game preservation and like how we think about old video games is going to be very different in 2032, just by the fact that so many games will no longer be accessible. So, um, yeah, I, I think the, the situation will be pretty different. But I think Babylon Fall is a game with enough interesting ideas that some Platinum fans will look at it and go, hey, this game seemed all right, and I'm a fan of the general things that are happening in this game. Uh, I think specifically if you're a fan of like uh, near Automata or whatever, how you pronounce it, Automata, uh, I think there are things in Babylon's Fall that you would you would enjoy uh, overall. So I think it's a lot of, a lot of Babylon's Fall feels kind of like a um, a uh, expansion of the ideas in near uh, near Automata at least. In some ways, I think you can kind of look back to the original near. But anyways, um, so that's my 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 actual winner for that. Um, honorable mention, Buddy Mission Bond, if like 10 years from now it gets a fan translation, I could see a bunch of people coming in and being like, this game is amazing and beautiful. Um, says the man who played it without knowing what's going on. I mean, I know what's going on, but you know, I didn't, I I couldn't read most of the text in the game. So I kind of had to piece things together based off the information I did have. Um, but I think Buddy Mission Bond is a honorable mention there. I do kind of feel like Buddy Mission Bond, if it does get fan translated, will still kind of stay with a particular audience, though. I don't think it's going to be, like, a, a larger reach. Or something like a Platinum Games appreciation thing. Um, I think that could maybe still have a, a bit more reach than, like, a Buddy Mission Bond for Babylon's Fall kind of thing. So, Renault, there's your your double your double category that I, I either I slipped in there on my own. I probably slipped it in there on my own. <laughs> um, I also didn't define that it was going to be one category, but most people, if they gave me multiple, I just chose one out of them. Most nonsensical game name sponsored by Square Enix from Japan Retro Direct. Vink of Famicom Dojo is the one who suggested this uh, this category. Japan Retro Direct is the other site he runs. That's the one I talk about most. Famicom Dojo is a very good show, though, that you should go watch. 
the release schedule is always kind of <laughs> iffy, but yeah. if anybody knows about slow releases and not coming out very often, I know about that. So, um, but, uh, but he wanted to give me the most, or he wanted me to say the most nonsensical game name. Uh, the one that I can probably say pretty, pretty confidently this year is fungi explode or fungi puzzle, fungi explosion. I think it's like a really funny name. I think I accidentally called it puzzle of fungi, fun- fungi explosion the first time. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it is Fungi Puzzle, Fungi Explosion. I think that's a fun name overall. Um, maybe not like a Square Enix style name. I'm trying to think if there's any like names that are like very Square Enix-y this year now that I'm thinking about it. Let me scroll through my list of games I played this year. Yeah, I don't really see that much. Uh, maybe Buddy Mission Bond. I guess that could be like an honorable mention. Like the Buddy Mission Bond name is something that's kind of, I think it would hold up in the US. I think they would be okay doing Buddy Mission Bond, especially with how important Bond is as a name. And also how many graphics in that game say buddy already. I think they're just keep it kind of thing. Buddy Mission Bond is is kind of a nonsensical name, but they definitely tie it into the story as much as possible. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, so thank you very much, Vink, for, for that category there. Zero asks, what was the most, or what the most streamable game? He didn't ask that. This is his category. Used to asking questions. Most streamable game. Uh, Cabela's Survival Shadows of Katmai. Use a gun with that game. People should watch you use a gun to shoot video games on stream. That is that is a very streamable video game, I think. Um, no honorable mentions here, though. Otherwise, I couldn't think of anything that like jumped out at me as like a... Oh, maybe Kirby Tilt and Tumble, actually. That might be a good honorable mention. Although that's maybe not the best way to play that game. It's very streamable to play that way, though, with the GameCube. So honorable mention to Kirby Tilt and Tumble. Or Koto Koto Kirby is the one we played for that. So um, we'll talk about Kirby next week on the podcast, I think. So, so I finished it using a Game Boy Color, though, not a game, not a GameCube. So <laughs> Chippy, his category is games most likely to have a surprisingly surprisingly good Wonder Swan spinoff port. I like this category. My answers are my answer. I punched the microphone. My answers are very boring here, though. Psychic Force Puzzle Tyson was the thing that jumped out on the most on this list. I feel like I could definitely, if you told me there was a Psychic Force Puzzle Tyson port on the Wonder Swan, I would 100% believe you. Um, you know, there are Puzzle Bobble games on the Wonder Swan already. So the template's there. They just got to swap the character sprites out. So not actually that exciting of, a, of an answer, but I feel like that's the most likely. Uh, my honorable mention is what I would like to see a Wonder Swan spinoff report of. And that is Cabela's Survival of Shat or Survival Shadows of Katmai. It's right back second category in a row. Um, I looked up a Cabela's Game Boy Advance game, and uh, it was kind of interesting. You had like a character walking around screen in like a snowfield, and you put a target on the snowfield, and you go over the moose, and then you zoom into a first person view, and then you shoot the moose from there, kind of thing. Um, I feel like though, I mean, I don't know the Wonderswan library very well. I feel like the Wonderswan probably was mostly Japanese developers and I would be very fascinated to see what a 2D Cabela game developed by Japanese developers would look like. Uh, tell me about your favorite 2D Super Nintendo Wonderswan Game Boy Advance hunting game that was developed by a Japanese dev team. If you, if you know of one, I would be curious. Don't tell me Yakuza 5. I know that's in one of those Yakuza games. Maybe it's four. I don't remember which one. One of the Yakuza games has hunting. Don't tell me about that. Don't tell me about that. I know about that one. <laughs> so, so thank you, Chippy, for that category. Space Galaga, namer of the Golden Pen Pen Awards, uh, asked, favorite Dojin game. He also asked favorite movie. So if you don't know, 
we have a Discord group. We watch movies most Saturdays of the year. And uh, I'm not much of a movie guy. So this is pretty much where 99% of the movies I've watched in my life in the last 10 years has come from is this is this thing. Um, he also asked, what was your favorite movie this year? I couldn't remember what movies we watched this year. <laughs> so I'm sure I could have picked some stuff out, but I couldn't like remember the full slate. So uh, I guess Paul, Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. There you go. <laughs> um, I don't think we watched two, actually. I think we just watched the first one. But anyways, favorite Dojin game was his other one that I could actually answer pretty decently. Um, Over the Dune, that was probably the thing that stood out to me most this year. It's not a complete Dojin game. Um, it is a prototype uh, from uh, the X68000 Club, I believe, is the group that it was from. I forget what year it was. I think it was maybe 2019, maybe? I don't remember for sure. I remember tweeting at them about it, trying to get some information, and then I couldn't get any information about it. They really, like, they don't um, they don't ever, like, talk about it again, as far as I can tell. There's other games that they have on, on their games disc that got, like, updates and things like that. But that particular one didn't get any update, and that was just kind of it. So really cool rhythm uh, RPG game where you use um, a a uh, rhythm bar to absorb spells from the enemies, and that creates what spells you can use in the game kind of thing. And then you also have timing attacks. There's a card system that represents your action points, and the cards also like represent different amounts of defense, and you get like, levels up between rounds. I think RPG rhythm games are very, very cool. And, um, this was definitely one of the more complex games that I've seen along a scene and sitting down and really learning it was, uh, I think really important because just playing it, you know, normally it didn't really, um, stick with me initially, but once I really sat down and gave it time, um, I really fell in love with it. So over the dune is the winner. Honorable mentions go to zombie Koroso. Um, this is that game we streamed not too long ago. That's like a, a zombie game. I did not finish this game. I will say, so I'm cheating a little bit. Um, but I think it does a lot with with a little in a lot of ways, and and I think it's very smart about how it uses perspective to make the game feel very diverse throughout. There's also like different ways that you um, kind of fight characters and things like that as well. So I think it's a really cool um, Dojin game. It's on Steam. You can go buy that. Where Over the Dune, unfortunately, is not available anywhere. But uh, Zombie Coruscant is available. Uh, it's maybe a little simple and kind of its execution, but you know, for for the category of game we're looking at here. Right now, I think Zombie Coruso is, is a very strong game from a ideas perspective and executing a lot of those ideals very well. Um, the last honorable mention is Air Kano Fighter. This is like a 1999 fighting game. I don't know if there was ever a final release of this. I only have beta releases um, across like a year or two. Um, and this is a fighting game featuring the characters from Air and Canon. Um and there are a lot of fighting games that feature these characters, I will say, that are in the Dojin scene. There's a lot of Dojin fighters from the late 90s and early 2000s. It's kind of where, you know, Tunex Fighters 98 probably came out from as well. I didn't really know about that so much when I made that video, but, you know, but I got there um, at some point, figured all that stuff out. But um, Air Kano Fighter is specifically interesting, though, because I think it does a really good job with um, making the game feel really impactful the characters move across the screen really fast and when you hit another character it has a lot of really flashy effects and like a bunch of food flies out of them and as far as i can tell you can like pick up that food and it like recovers i think your health or maybe it's like a stamina special meter or something like that so it's like some cool ideas there and i think the game controls in a really unique and fun way and um it's just like really fast-paced high energy kind of fighting game um and i think it's really cool and unfortunately it's a pain in the butt to get to run i can only get it to run on like one like half broken Dell laptop that I have. So, so yeah. 
That's it for the uh, the community categories, though. So we're going to wrap this up with the game of the year. This is technically a community category, but only because uh, Forlorn uh, asked us, what was the best game of the year that's neither Pentiment or Tactics Ogre Reborn? I don't know what Pentiment is, and I will never play Tactics Ogre Reborn in my life. So, <laughs> so really, really, we're asking what is the game of the year. So <laughs> um, there. So Forlorn technically is a co-sponsor of this category. Uh, but really, it's just the normal game of the year that would have happened with or without Forlorn. Sorry if you're listening, Forlorn. <laughs> um, but my game of the year, I think you probably can guess, is Buddy Mission Bond. I love Buddy Mission Bond. I adore that game. It's my favorite Nintendo Switch game. I'm glad I sat down and took the time to really finish it out. And I'm glad I really gave my full effort in appreciating it as much as possible. I unfortunately think it's a game that not many people are going to sit down and play for a very long time in the English-speaking audience. Um, but, you know, hopefully someday it shows up in a way that people can check it out, either officially or unofficially. I'm really hopeful. I don't know what the Switch scene looks like in terms of um, emulation and stuff like that and hacking games. But um, I'm really hopeful that Buddy Mission Bond is one of the first games on the Switch that get a uh, fan translation because... You know, while I think there's going to be some problems with it coming into English in terms of stuff being a little too straightforward in a lot of ways, I think people will really appreciate the game overall uh, once they can actually play it. So, but unfortunately, I'm sure it's probably going to be one of those games that doesn't really ever succeed uh, in the West, honestly, um, outside of like a very specific audience of people, which maybe a smaller publisher could convince Nintendo to let them do that. But I don't think Buddy Mission Bond is going to do Nintendo numbers kind of thing. I'm very curious how Buddy Mission Bond came together, honestly, um, from like a deal perspective, you know. This is so late that it doesn't feel like a bleed over from like, you know, old Nintendo kind of just, you know, doing random third party deals. This feels like it's probably a little bit more recent. Um, and still it went through despite it probably having a very limited appeal overall. So I'm not quite sure what the logic was with Nintendo going forward on this. But, you know, Famicom Detective Club remake happened around the same time, too. So, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. It's it's just a weird, weird situation. So Buddy Mission Bond, beautiful game. Love it so much. Go watch my 25-minute video about that if you haven't, because that video did not do particularly great. <laughs> um, honorable mentions for Game of the Year. We have two, so we've talked about a lot of video games. Two games on this honorable mentions list are games that have not showed up so far. I will say, I'm not quite sure how that happened, but when I sat down and thought about the games that really left probably the, the biggest impacts on me this year, Maybe as a whole is the big thing rather than these individual categories. Um, I'll mention one is Evergrace. I know it's kind of contentious in the community of how good Evergrace was. I know that our community review was particularly on the negative side. I really like Evergrace as a video game. I really regret that I never really found the words for Evergrace. I still feel like today I haven't found the words for Evergrace in a lot of ways. I would like to revisit Evergrace at some point. Um, and maybe that just comes through revisiting Forever Kingdom at some point, the prequel, I believe, to Evergrace one. Um, but I really enjoyed that game a lot. You know, I think that's a really awesome game from a game design perspective and a world perspective. And um, I do like the general um, vibe of the game too, which I think is, uh, if you don't know, Tap Troop Elena, um, she, um, I think she, how did she put it? I don't remember. I'm doing a great job off the top of my head, but you know, a very kind of like, um, otherworldly dreamlike, I think is what she calls a very dreamlike world in a lot of ways. I think that was like something that Napple tale is very dreamlike as well, but I think Napple tale is a very directed dream where like everything feels very clear where Evergrace feels like a very kind of fuzzy mess as you kind of go through it in a way that I found kind of appealing. The other game is Sonic Frontiers. You know, I had been waiting so long for Sonic Frontiers to really, um, 
or Sonic as a franchise to really kind of take it to the next level. And I feel like Sonic Frontiers is that kind of step and it feels like a real step to me. Um, you know, what does that mean for the future of the Sonic franchise? I think is another thing, but Sonic Frontiers, I, I, I think I keep coming back to it. Like it's a successful execution, in my opinion, of a franchise and keeping its values and implementing those into an open world in a way that I feel like a lot of open world games struggle with, right? So where everyone's like, you know, what's the old tired saying? Like Sonic struggle with his transition to 3D. I feel like a lot of games have struggled with their transitions to open world games, but Sonic has the last laugh now because Sonic, I think, actually nailed his transition to open world in a lot of ways. So Sonic Frontiers, runner up there, or I guess honorable mention, whatever you want to call it. So, and that's our game of the year show. Bunny Mission Bond, congratulations. Buddy Mission Bond. Let's pick another. Let's pick one category that we're just going to re- like do an, another encore for. What category is this? Most disappointing God Year 3. <laughs> encore. Most disappointing. <laughs> At least that's the other side of the scale, right? We got we got God Year 3 and Buddy Mission Bond on those things. So anyways, uh, I'm really looking forward to whatever Shift does next. Got them not being involved in God Eater 3. I, I'm curious if that would have been different if they were involved, but who knows? You know, God Eater 3 is a game that um um is a strange game in a lot of ways. I'm very i a lot of these video games that I'm confused by sometimes, I'd just be really curious to be a fly on the wall and be like, what happened? What what design decisions led to this final video game kind of thing, right? So um congratulations to all the winners. Um there are no trophies. I don't have a pen pen golden trophy, but the Golden Pen Pen Awards have been distributed, and and you'll receive them in the mail soon. Uh, Bandai Namco um, and uh, uh, Koei, we'll send it to Ruby Party. We'll send the the Golden Pen Pen to Ruby Party, uh, and they can be like, "What is Pen Pen Triathlon?" I'm like, yeah, go check out Pen Pen Triathlon. Just don't look at the one level. <laughs> don't look at the one level. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, anyways, that's it for this week. Thanks for coming to this podcast. Like I said, this is the last podcast that will be on this YouTube channel. If you're listening to the podcast feed through your podcast platforms, will be normal. Normal releases going from here on out, so don't worry about it. But if you're listening on YouTube, there's going to be a One Control Port Plus channel. That's where next week's podcast is going to be. There's going to be a post going up on Tuesday this week. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, the, the week that this came out, Go check out that video. It is up there. It will explain to you what's going on with the YouTube channel. Splitting off into three channels. I'll just give you a quick overview. The featured channels, the main channel that already exists. That's going to be scripted content. OCP Plus is going to be commentary content. So podcasts, streams, clips, uh, any kind of thing where I'm just sitting at a desk talking at you. That's going to be the OCP Plus stuff. And then finally... Um, uh, the last one is the PCFX fan club, which is a PCFX specific channel that me and filler are working on together. So go check that out as well. Again, the video will go up on Tuesday to give you full details on how each of those things are going to work out. Uh, the PCFX FX, uh, fan club, uh, thing might not go up till later in January, but that will be where things start going up in the near, near future for PCFX. So anyways, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for this 2022. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to the Patreons who supported this week's podcast. I'm sorry. I'm just not realizing I did not answer a Patreon question this week. I'll move the Patreon question over to next week. So I'm sure it's just Jillian. I'll ask for your forgiveness, Jillian. I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, uh, thank you again, Henry Dagger. Thank you again, uh, uh, Paul Daniel, Jillian, and, um, and Discreet again for your support through all of 2022. You guys have been great. And yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. You guys have a wonderful, um, it's, it's, 
you're listening to this after Christmas. Have a wonderful new year. And I hope you had a great Christmas. Congratulations. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Goodbye. <laughs>